Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the Tips for Lawyers podcast. My name is Chris, you are you, and welcome to the show. Today I wanted to talk about bosses. We're going to have a lot of bosses during the course of our careers, and we're going to have ample opportunities to analyse the good qualities and the bad qualities of what kind of supervisors we're going to have. I wonder what your experience has been so far. Uh, you might be a law student, and so your experience might be clerkship or perhaps a little bit of work experience. Maybe you are creating this sort of uh, perception in your head of what a boss in a law firm actually is like. And of course, some of that might be accurate and some of it might not be. If your boss stereotype or your boss avatar is created entirely from watching Suits or various different shows that pretend to be like law firms, uh, you're probably going to be in for a bit of a shock because while some of the personal characteristics of the people in television shows will find their way into legal practice, they of course are rarely as extreme or crazy as what you find on TV. Why? Because TV is supposed to be entertaining and is probably more entertaining than real life. And in order for that to happen, you just need to accept that everything is accentuated and exaggerated when it comes to TV personality types. However, however, that does not mean that there are zero similarities between law firm practice and television, as we're going to see. I wanted to deal with just a few different types of bad, and I'm going to say bad in the sense that these qualities are not endearing, uh, boss types that you're going to come across in law. And these might be from your immediate supervisors, whether or not they're a supervising partner. It's hard to say because you might not answer directly to a partner. You might answer to someone a little bit more senior than you or perhaps someone with more experience on a file than you. And that is going to really portray some of these characteristics. The first one I wanted to discuss is what I've called the bumbling tyrant. Now, this is our stereotypical TV bad boss. This is a person who may or may not have 100% knowledge of the law. Um, remarkably, in television, you have a tendency to see people who have an encyclopedic knowledge of all legal cases across time and can quote things left, right and centre. In Australia, at least, that is not especially common. Uh, but you obviously find people who are extremely talented in their areas. What does have a tendency to fade over time is knowledge of process. Uh, if the court rules get updated 460 times, you shouldn't necessarily expect that someone who was admitted in 1952 to have a comprehensive knowledge of those things if that's not an area they practice in on a day-to-day -day basis. And that part is fine. What is less good is the tyrant part of the bumbling tyrant. Now, I have suggested a certain degree of ineptitude, and that might be a little bit unfair, but where it comes into play is the shouty factor. The tyrants who constantly shout at, abuse, and are generally dismissive of everything that their staff have to say are extremely difficult to deal with because they will never ever change their ways. They have a tendency to be very senior people or people who respond to stress very poorly. There are some people who are perfectly acceptable to speak to at the Friday night drinks, but when the time comes to actually work with them in a stressful situation or a high pressure situation, they start becoming extremely difficult. And you are going to come across this 
because lawyers don't get trained how to deal with stress appropriately or how to use stress in a positive way, and instead some of them deal with it very poorly. One way, and it's a common way, some lawyers deal with stress is by becoming agitated and annoying to all those people around them, and they simply lose their ability to communicate effectively, and they begin being offensive and difficult and shouty, and that actually makes them less effective as practitioners, as well as causing you a certain amount of anxiety. So there really is nothing you can do to change this behavior rather than your internal attitude towards it. So you need to accept in those situations, and it might be that someone is fine most of the time but has bouts of this, you need to accept that you probably can't do anything to actually change it or make them better. You might be able to if you can maintain a, a positive attitude and just try and sort of lift them up a little bit, be as helpful as you can, lower their stress or lower their uh, anger if you can. But that doesn't mean you need to put yourself in the firing line and it doesn't mean you need to take their attitude personally because the fact that if you are doing your job properly, uh, they still shout at you is probably not your problem. And I said problem a few times there, but it's not going to be your issue that they are shouty and anxious and stressed. Just do the best job you can. Accept internally that you are doing the best job you can. Uh, don't necessarily get into that mindset where they're a terrible boss because they may or may not be. But just accept that if they're going through a stage in particular where they're dealing with things poorly, that you can assist that by doing an extremely good job, by being there to be helpful, and you don't need to internalize any criticism that you might face from people around this particular time unless you personally believe that it's accurate. That's enough on tyrants. They're actually not as common as what people might think. Uh, I know that it's a bit of a stereotype, but my experience at least has been that most leaders in law firms are actually fairly okay to work for. Sure, they might be very adamant or opinionated or whatever, but that doesn't mean that they're unfairly uh, offensive towards people. What is a bit more common uh, so far as bosses are concerned is category two, which I've called the credit taker. This is the person who at the last minute of a matter, say you've been working on or you and a team have been working on and they've just been sort of watching from the sidelines. And then we're moments away from having an awesome result or a court hearing where they get ordered in their favor and that's when they become interested. Now, on the one hand, I understand that, especially if it's their client relationship and they have been maintaining a, a relationship factor uh, in there so that the client has been aware that they have been supervising and they have offered value from that perspective. So I can understand it from that perspective. What I can't understand it from is when they attempt to dismiss effectively your hard work associated with the matter. So this is the fine line between using words like we and our team and things like that versus words like I. So you may have had a conversation with your partner where you gave a recommendation that X, Y, and Z should happen. They said, yes, go ahead with that. And all of a sudden that's become their idea. This is surprisingly common. I personally think it's a bit unfair. There is a balance to be had uh, between taking credit for other people's ideas and accepting that good leadership is just that. So there is a balancing act, but I think it's poor form personally. Um, there are a few ways of dealing with it. What you need to be careful about is if you just leap in and do things without 
allowing them uh, a chance to get involved, uh, even if that's going to result in them taking credit, they can get actually pretty annoyed. If they are the kind of personality who likes to build their practice on the shoulders of other people's effort, which at the end of the day is what being a good delegator is actually about, uh, then you need to be very careful because the fact is they have participated in the process. They may have delegated the work to you in the first place. They may have brought the client to the firm in the first place and they have at some level participated in the success that you have worked hard to achieve. So you need to be careful about getting too up in arms about this, but at the same time, perhaps you need to be prepared to step up and accept some of the glory and perhaps a quiet word if it's appropriate and if you have this kind of relationship with your boss to say, look, uh, in that conversation, you kind of took credit for all my hard work and I would have appreciated you at the very least acknowledging the hard work that I'd put in, especially when it's in front of the client or the managing partner or whatever it is. So this is uh, something that can be difficult to deal with. All of these are difficult to deal with because they're all human interactions and they are inevitably complicated. But be careful with the credit taker because they will get offended if you try and take something they think they should be getting credit for. And you might find that that's a broader category of things than what you might think. So you need to tread cautiously. Category three is what I call storm in a teacup. This is the person to whom everything that they want done is urgent and everything that anyone else wants done is not. So the tiniest little thing will happen and they need to upend the entire office in a flurry of activity and urgency even though no one else can figure out what the urgency actually is. And this is fairly common for some people who are poorly organized or are poor delegators. So they have a tendency to get in a gigantic flap about the smallest thing that needs to be done, uh, indexing a file, um, preparing a file memo or research memo that isn't needed for two or three weeks, simply because they have trouble uh, prioritizing their own work effectively. And so they want everything everyone else gets done to be done as fast as possible so that they have as much margin in their practice as they can get. In the meantime, of course, everyone else has to drop everything for their behalf. One way you can attempt to deal with this is to ask them when you are being delegated work to actually ask them what the deadline is, like where they have come up with a deadline. Is it a court deadline, in which case it might be legitimately urgent? Has counsel or senior counsel requested something by the next day, in which case it has a degree of importance or urgency? Um, but you also need to make them aware if you are doing other time sensitive tasks for other people, then it's kind of not your problem usually to solve that degree of urgency. Put them together to discuss whose tasks should take priority. And that may mean you don't get one of the tasks or it gets redelegated, and that's fine. It is not a personal affront. But if you just constantly say yes to this person and drop everything else, there's a risk, depending on the size of your firm, that you're going to alienate other people because you're not necessarily engaging in good decision-making yourself. So if you're not sure which task should take priority and there's no chance you can get both done, Put the two delegators together, ask them to have a conversation, be transparent about your current workload and just say, just so you know, I'm currently working on this for this other person. You're asking me to do this within a similar time frame. I'm not sure both can get done by me. Do you want to have a conversation with them and let me know which should take the higher priority and I'll do my best to get them both done as quickly as possible? I think that's a perfectly rational response, but it 
avoids the generality of the word urgent. This is really urgent. Okay, that's nice, but why is it urgent? And you don't need to be patronizing or annoying about it. Just be sensible and appropriately well-mannered to try and dig into why it's urgent, what the deadline is and where it came from, so that they can start to get in the habit of giving you that information when they delegate to you. That moves nicely into poor delegation. So the half-baked delegator is the person who just makes everyone's life a little bit more difficult because they don't like sharing background information that's necessary. Part of this is they operate on a need-to-know basis and they think that if they withhold as much information from you as possible and only give you a nice, tight, narrow parameter of what you need to do, then that will in fact avoid you chasing down dry gullies. Unfortunately, what it has a tendency to do is not give you the information required in order to prepare the thing that they want, whatever that may be. So they have a tendency not to give detailed information about deadlines, they have a tendency not to give detailed information about the file, not to give any background information, not to give any information about what's been done already. That can be a big time saver. What has been done already? Am I the second person to work on this note? Has someone else done some research already? If so, what was wrong with it? What were the issues that I should avoid chasing down? What is the purpose of it? Is there any actual information I need to know? Can I access the file? What is the file number? Who's the client? Can I charge for it or not? All this information that just saves time to get it up front. And one thing you can do is to try and get a list of what you need to know in order to get effectively delegated to. Because what has a tendency to happen is this. Uh, you don't know what you don't know until you leave the room and then their door shuts, they get involved in something else and you don't feel like you can interrupt them. And as a result, what happens is you fluff around for the first little while of the task because you don't really understand it properly. The absolute best time to get the information you need for effective delegation is at the start and get in fast and get it while they were giving you the task because that opportunity goes and then all of a sudden you've got to interrupt them later. You feel bad, they feel annoyed, they feel like you've wasted time because you didn't ask them at the start and it can go very badly. Now this doesn't work for everyone. Sometimes they'll just run out of the room after giving you the task, but whatever it may be, try and get the information you need or you believe you might need upfront. Ask some questions, ensure that you understand the task and what the result is that they're looking for. Otherwise you're not doing your part of the deal either. Next is the person, uh, and they have a tendency to be half-baked delegators as well, the person who's simply inaccessible. And that might be because they're legitimately too busy or it might just be because they always give the perception of being uninterruptible. Whatever it may be, this is the person from whom you cannot get any further guidance on your task. You might just need a 30 second conversation, but you can't get it for two days. And so as a result, you prepare a task and as it turns out, it's not what they had in mind. And you could have solved that early on. This can be very difficult, but you probably don't get away with just emailing them. There's that sort of passive aggressive email. Hey, I could really use some help on this task. Could you come out and help me? Firstly, they might not read it. Secondly, they might not read it for 12 hours, by which stage you've wasted a day. You need to just try and knock on their door and interrupt them, uh, if at all possible. Now, I'm not saying you should take your life into your hands if they're preparing for a hearing the next day or something but do what you need to do to get the information you need and try and use common sense. Are they legitimately busy or are they not legitimately busy? Uh, I'm not saying you should say that out loud to them because all lawyers will claim to be busy all the time, uh, but use your common sense. If they're frantically running around and absolutely smashed, you might just need to take a stab at it and let them know that 
why you went down the path you did, but be prepared to back up those decisions too, okay? So inaccessibility, just sort of front up to their door and uh, see how that goes. The last one is an interesting one. This is the person who's been made a supervising partner, but in fact, they just really want to do legal work all the time. And on the one hand, that's awesome because they can uh, really get into legal questions with you. They have a tendency to be very knowledgeable in the area of law and you can learn a lot from them. The downside is they find all the non-legal areas of practice really annoying, uh, administration, HR issues, marketing. These really important things have a tendency to fall by the wayside because they've got their head buried in legal issues. They do have a tendency to micromanage things as well and lob you curveballs or wild goose chases because somewhere in their head is a thing from 250 years ago that you should check into. They can't quite remember what it is, but they're sure it's possibly going to impact on what we're about to say. And then you spend two days looking for it and it turns out to be irrelevant. On the flip side, uh, sometimes they come up with a gem with that kind of brain spasm. So you've got to take the good with the bad there as well. It can be really good to have this kind of lawyer supervising you. It can also be very frustrating because they don't teach you those soft skills associated with law and they can be very hard to get to engage on things like that because to them, uh, legal practice is just about the law. Whereas to us, you and I, who are big fans of tipsforlawyers.com, it is the black letter law that forms part of the law, but it is the legal practice skills that form the other part. And all of those things about dealing with people and human resources and culture issues and administration issues and marketing and networking, uh, these aren't necessary evils as part of legal practice. These are part and parcel of legal practice. You can't put them to one side. And so you won't necessarily find a good balance if you only follow in the footsteps of that partner. So those are my six categories. We've gone on for coming up on 20 minutes soon, so I don't want to go on too much further. Um, As you can see, they're not all necessarily evil if they're in small quantities. Uh, Most of them are understandable at certain times, but some supervisors have a tendency to have prevailing characteristics that might lend them to do one of these things more often than not. Uh, And if you are in that situation, you need to figure out, okay, how am I going to manage upwards? How am I going to help this person who is my boss and to whom I have a duty? How am I going to help them function better with me as a team so that we can deliver better results to our client? I think it's good to put a positive spin on it. Uh, I know that might seem like burying your head in the sand, and I'm not saying you need to put up with constant abuse uh, because that's not a good thing either. What I'm saying is that you really aren't going to get any benefits from complaining constantly about it. Uh, Your options are to stay and make the best of it or leave. Really constantly complaining is going to be difficult. Making the best of it might over the medium to long term see some improvement in your working relationship with that person because who knows? They have room to improve just like you do. And part of your ability to function in law is going to be to deal with people, whether they are subordinate, whether they are supervisor, whether they are colleagues or peers. And it doesn't really matter which way you're going to deal with it. It's going to be a constant issue in your career. So you might as well start today trying to find positive things you can do to make the most of that situation. That's all I had today. I would appreciate your reviews, your rankings, your comments, your emails, and all the other things that happen. Tipsforlawyers.com slash iTunes will take you to iTunes, where I would love it if you could subscribe and leave a review. And on that note, I will see you next time.